Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I'll tell you what, there's a couple of topics I want to just mention here right off the right off the start and a few things I want to discuss. Of course, this business of, of pedophilia within K-12 schools is, of course, ramping up and more and more people are waking up to it, which is a good thing. They need to wake up to this. And there's a great deal that I'm going to read from from a particular article from the Gateway Pundit that I think hits the nail right on the head. And then I've got some audio that I want to play too. I also have some jab stuff that I want to cover, which is remarkably important, and some audio that came from the FDA's public comment section recently uh, within this past week, where some individuals were again discussing their vaccine injuries. Of course, it's not a vaccine, it's a bioweapon. But there's a, a couple of comments here just regarding sort of the hiring practices of, of K-12 schools and, and what they're doing. You know, there were some excellent people, and there are always excellent people who comment on my Gab account, and I appreciate all the comments. Um, and it generates discussion, which is certainly important. Well, one of the things that got mentioned had to do with uh, an individual basically saying, why don't more white conservative males become school teachers and why aren't more white conservative males and strong alpha males hired as school teachers the answer to that question and the lack of that actually happening is is pretty straightforward the fact is is that the profession as i've mentioned previously in past episodes is dominated by females there's a motherly intuition that can sometimes come with being a teacher and wanting to help and all of that. Everything that sort of that entails from a, from a maternal standpoint and a nurturing standpoint, we'll call it. With that said, there are a great deal of alpha males and strong conservative-minded males who are school teachers also. And many of them also want to be school teachers. Unfortunately, some of them find their way into the physical education aspect of the profession instead of the, and again, I've brought up the, the, the scam of psychology on this podcast before and how it's, again, just to quickly summarize, it's a, a made-up profession of made-up words to justify immoral behavior. And that's true. But finding... I would say conservative-minded, again, strong alpha males is, is becoming a harder and harder thing to do because the business itself purposefully insulates their own away from people like that. And here's, here's all I'm saying, and here's all I mean by it. They purposefully don't hire white conservative alpha males, in particular for roles like classroom instruction within particular subjects. I'm not saying that they don't get hired. They do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are certain individuals who, again, will hold the positions of principal or assistant principal, and, and they will participate in the hiring process. And again, if those individuals that are engaging in the actual hiring are interested in hiring those kinds of individuals, then they know exactly who they're hiring. They can see them, they can hear them talk, they can look at their credentials on their resume. They know exactly where these individuals stand politically. In particular nowadays, when you, when you, can, when you can look at someone and you just know. You, you can take a look at the way that they dress, you can take a look at the way that they, they speak, and you have a pretty good idea as to where they stand on, on particular issues. The problem, of course, always comes around when the individuals, again, doing the hiring purposefully don't want to hire strong, straight, conservative males, white males in particular. And they're purposefully now, and when I say they, I mean school districts all over America, even in the reddest, the reddest towns and the reddest counties and the reddest states. It, it does not matter um, the voting that necessarily goes on within a particular area. They are interested in hiring like-minded people under the guise of diversity. So they will consistently use the word diversity, but they don't actually mean that, of course, because diversity to them means hiring individuals that are just like them 
And if we get real lucky, we can hire somebody who is a different skin color. And that's about it. That's about all that they mean when they say that. The problem here, too, is where it goes a little bit deeper, is they're making actual policy so that those practices, quote-unquote, those hiring practices become the norm, and it, be, it itself becomes the policy. So they will say, well, does it meet these parameters? Now, we, of course, know what those parameters are. They'll say, okay, are they gay? Check. Are they of a minority status or a non-white skin color? Check. If they are a non, if they are white, are they female? Check. Does it sound like they buy into our philosophy and tend to lean toward a leftist ideology? Well, they've used particular words that we enjoy and that are common among our brainwashed mobs. So yes, check. You know, as long as all of those boxes are checked, then they're set to go. But again, if an individual walks into a position and they want to teach one of the core subjects or they want to teach a psychology class or a sociology class or whatever, and they are, you know, they have multiple degrees and they have, you know, I mean, that's even another subject for another time. The business, although I'll, I'll bring it up now, you know, the business of having advanced degrees. If an individual has a PhD, the, the likelihood of them being hired as a classroom teacher is slim and none and slim left town. That, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, a lot of EDDs get hired, but again, I've, I've been over this in the past. The, the administrators doing the hiring are not likely to hire people who are more advanced than they are and have a longer resume and a thicker resume than they are for the simple reason that it makes them look bad. And they can't have that. They can't have people in the building who are more experienced than they are. I'm not saying, again, that there aren't PhDs uh, in, in the business of K-12 education who are, who are um, just classroom teachers. Those people exist, and they are out there. They, they are few and far between, though. The vast majority of the individuals who teach K-12 school typically have a bat bachelor's degree. Some of them also have a master's degree, and then that's usually where it stops. But basically, after all of that rambling, um, you know, the the bigger problem is that they are hiring their own now. These individuals with these hard left ideologies, pedophilic natures, um, grooming tendencies, we'll call them, but they're pedophilic, which is another point I'm going to make here in just a second, but they're hiring their own. And, and that continues to be the, the biggest issue. Again, they, they know that they can control and have influence over a like-minded individual. And the individuals doing these hirings know that they are more likely to have control or influence over a female as opposed to a straight, white, conservative alpha male who has the credentials that, that match the persona. Uh, that, is the, that is the untouchable individual. That is the individual that cannot be coerced. That is the individual that cannot be conned. That's the individual that marches to the beat of their own drum because the beat of their own drum tends to fall in line with more heavenly principles and, and moral and sound principles. Uh, they show up, they do their job, they, they protect everyone and anyone that they can, and then they go home even if that means doing the right thing to the point where they lose their job. This happens all of the time, and these people are purposefully being squeezed out of the position. If, if, they, if they hold the position still to this day, they are being squeezed out. And um, it's, it's just another example, frankly, of, again, the, the candle burning itself at both ends regarding the hiring practices that are going on in K-12 education. It could be at the private level, it could be at the public level, charter level, magnet school, it doesn't matter. Uh, they, they are purposely filling their buildings with, again, women, minorities, those who are gay, those who are openly gay, and those, again, who are as, about as hard left as you could possibly imagine. So that's why the hiring practices are the way that they are. And that's why we're not hearing enough about strong alpha males who are white and conservative and know their subject matter, care about students, 
but don't share their personal lives in the classroom because they are professionals and they know that that's not relevant. Teaching their subject matter as truthfully as they can, even when it comes to recognizing and pointing out the propaganda that exists in the textbooks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just, you know, these are, those would be the best school teachers. And unfortunately, those are the people that are purposefully not being hired. So the environment, again, is not going to get better when it comes to K-12 education. It's going to get worse. And so that kind of leads me to this next point, which is that do not make the mistake of thinking that, again, individuals who have more degrees than somebody, somebody else are, are somehow brighter than someone else. That is not the case. The, the, the business of uh, t- uh, obtaining degrees is a worthwhile experience for those that have the right motivations. It's all about motivations, and it's all about having the right kind of determination. It's not about having pieces of paper in a frame that a person hangs on a wall. None of, none of that is relevant. Um, some of the smartest people I've met are high school dropouts. It, it has absolutely nothing to do with, with obtaining degrees. I, I've known a great deal of PhDs, and they are some of the dumbest MRFers that you could possibly imagine. That's, that's the way that it is. Yeah, I, I really don't know what else to say regarding that. You know, I've seen all the memes that are out there and, and all the comments where people say, you know, having advanced degrees doesn't matter. I share that sentiment. I've, I fully share that, that belief system because it's not a belief system, it's a fact. But with that said, of course, degrees do matter. And it, again, it's, it's about motivation. If a person works hard and they, and they want to learn a particular subject, I, I applaud them for that and I, I would root that on. I would say you'd better be careful about what degree it is, and then I would start asking more serious questions. What do you want to do with it? Is that going to be the end of your, of your education? Once you obtain a particular piece of paper in an institution, and these, all of these institutions are really interested in not teaching the truth, because that would require the very instructors themselves knowing as much of the truth as humanly possible and teaching that regardless of the consequences. Uh, you know, and instead, of course, these places are teaching ideologies and they're teaching their belief systems and they're teaching their perversions and they're teaching all of these things that have nothing to do with what the individual in the classroom really needs to use that degree for. But again, if you're wondering why, you're now seeing all of the pedophilia within K-12 schools and hearing about it, it's because the training programs are grooming the very students themselves to allow for this kind of behavior to exist within K-12 classrooms because it exists at the university level. And this brings me really to a larger point, which is a concept that is referred to as the Overton window. And I want to describe this briefly. Uh, it's, new, it's new to a great deal of people. It's not new to a, a great deal of people. But it's always worth bringing up, and it's this concept of what is tolerable and what is not. And the more freedom that an individual has, of course, the more that certain concepts are going to be viewed as being, um, oh, I would say more radical or certainly not, uh, not widely accepted or, or not widely understood. And then when you have less freedom, there's the exact same is true, whereas somewhere in the middle is referred to as the Overton window, and it has to do again in this particular case regarding the word groomer or grooming. This is, this is where it fits right into the Overton window because that's a phrase that would be widely accepted and widely used among individuals who are incapable of seeing the extremes on either end. So just to use some memes as an example here, you know, there are a lot of memes out there that have to do with pedophilia and they call them, they call it appropriately. I mean, it's, it's pedophilia. That's what it is. Grooming is a tactic of a pedophile. So, but, but again, you're not going to hear that, which is why the word groomer 
fits perfectly within within the Overton window because it's it's acceptable. It's an acceptable phrase. Instead of really understanding what the phrase means and understanding that it is a tactic of a pedophile. That would be, of course, on the more freedom end of the Overton window to understand that that is an actual fact itself. So that's why you hear the word now grooming and groomer and and all of this. It's purposefully been injected into the lexicon, so to speak, in order to um, in order to normalize pedophilia, and that's what's happening. And it's unfortunate, but it is a way to again sort of gaslight people into um, in, into making pedophilia acceptable. They'll say groomer and and you're a groomer and you're grooming children and you're sexually grooming children. Well, the the real question is, who sexually grooms children? Predators, pedophiles, rapists, murderers. These are the individuals that really groom, which means, again, that's what we should be calling these individuals who work within these environments and are doing these kinds of things. We should call them pedophiles. And again, this is something I've brought up on Gab, and I've said this on Gab, and uh, it's about as accurate a, a statement as I can make. I, I think I, I, I lean more in that camp, that, that um, we have to understand the, the horrific depths of, of what these words really mean and why they're really being brought into, into the forefront and quote-unquote popular culture, so to speak. They're being brought in because there is the flip side of the coin, which is to normalize the word groomer as a cover for what really goes on, which is pedophilia. So a little background here, and this is just from Wikipedia regarding the Overton window, but the term is named after American policy analyst Joseph Overton, who stated that an idea's political viability depends mainly on whether it falls within this range, rather than on politicians' individual preferences. According to Overton, the window frames the range of policies that a politician can recommend without appearing too extreme to gain or keep public office, given the climate of public opinion at the time. So let's take Ron Johnson, for example, because he has done some things and said some things that fit right in the Overton window. You know, he had all of the America's frontline doctors, for example. He had, he had a bunch of them show up and a bunch of people who aren't associated with America's frontline doctors. He had a bunch of just doctors and lawyers and analysts and scientists show up and say these shots are killing people. They are a bioweapon. They are causing cancer. And as soon as cancer got brought up, that these shots are causing cancer in the immediate short term, we're talking weeks and months after people have received these shots. That's where Senator Ron Johnson pumped the brakes. He kept the dialogue from going to the more freedom end. The full freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, freedom of expression, freedom of truth. He kept it from going there. He pumped the brakes and he said, I don't think the public's ready for that yet. What he was doing was, is he was keeping the dialogue within the Overton window. He was keeping it right where it needed to be because it can't go any higher than that or else he thinks people will be turned off to it or become... um overly angry or or they will immediately turn it off as 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 being a, a viable explanation for what's actually happening see you, you definitely couldn't say the words depopulation and that would not fit within the overton window uh the overton window has its pros and it has its cons is is what i'm trying to say i personally am not a fan of it I think that we have to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. If it's uncomfortable for someone, then what you have to do is is you have to examine why it's uncomfortable for that person, but that shouldn't stop a person from continuously telling the truth. The truth is only uncomfortable to a person who doesn't know it yet, and they can't connect the dots, and they can't make those logical connections. You know, you believe what you believe because 
you're believing things that aren't real, which means when someone tells the truth, it doesn't, it doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. And then, of course, all of the different behaviors that come with that when an individual hears something that is uncomfortable to them, regardless of how factual it is. They'll run away. They'll get angry. They'll name call. They'll morally justify their stance on particular issues, whatever it may be. But, you know, Ron Johnson is a perfect example. Again, when he had that little summit for that one day, when he had the doctors and the lawyers all around that U-shaped table talking to him in Washington, D.C., he was the only politician doing it. He was doing it to satisfy those of us that, that know what's going on. But those of us that understand the Overton window know that there's only so far Senator Johnson's going to go. Because he can't go all the way. He's a politician. And, and politicians have to stay within that, within that Overton window. The problem is, is again, I'm, I'm repeating myself and rambling, so I'm going to move on to more specific examples. But um, this is why the exact opposite is also true with the enemy. That, that the, the enemy will also normalize perversions and normalize destruction. And they keep that within the Overton window by renaming it and giving it different names and different identities. So the Overton window is dangerous, is my point. And it's dangerous from both sides of the angle. It's, it's, it, there are a lot of nuances to it, but um, it, is, it is a real thing. I have no doubt about that. It's also worth keeping in mind, and, and this is certainly another angle, I think, is that the Over, Overton window is designed to basically pacify people. It keeps them comfortable within a certain, within a certain area, and it limits their thinking. And as we're seeing all over the place, regardless of the profession, that is a massive problem. It's a huge problem in the K-12 industry. It's a huge problem in higher education, so to speak, because again, the, the pacification of the truth is getting everybody to think the exact same way by and large, and then sort of close in that vice on top of people to fit them inside of a box, or in this case, again, a particular window of, of area. To where they can't leave, and they're not going to be able to function or be successful if they if they bust out of that particular window, and they head more toward a truthful way of speaking and a, and a truthful truthful way of behaving, because then again the people that operate and control that window will will shun them, and keep them from providing the real diversity that these work environments actually need, because they are the least diverse places that a person can work. Again, if you know, if a person were to walk into an interview for, for a K-12 job or even a higher ed job, and I've been in these situations, like I said earlier, they can detect right away as to whether or not you're going to immediately agree with them or not. And heaven forbid if you were to actually challenge something that they believe or that they openly say. For example, if they were to say in their interviews as, as the people doing the hiring, they would say, well, here we believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion. What are your thoughts on that? If you answer their question with a question and you say, well, what do you mean by diversity, equity, and inclusion? Then immediately, that's a red flag for them because you're, you're, you're putting their back up against a wall, so to speak, because again, you want answers. You want them to define their irrationality and their just irrational behavior which is going to be very difficult for them to do. And then, of course, they're, they're not going to de define it. They might try. But if you keep calling them out on their lunacy regarding the word usage and the definitions and this, that, and the, and the other, it, it just it makes, them look, it makes them look foolish by you being there, and they, which means, again, they just can't have you there because you've called their bluff. So that's really why it's turning into a lose-lose situation for so many students that really just want to go to school to learn actual content. And the same is true with teachers that just want to teach their subject and then go home and be responsible human beings. Being able to do that within these environments is becoming untenable. And that too is a giant on purpose. All of this is happening on purpose. But the funny part, again, is that the very people doing this within these environments have no idea that they're destroying their own profession. They are actually destroying their own means of living, which is the ultimate irony, I think.
But here's this story from the Gateway Pundit, and I wanted to get into this too because this, again, fits within that realm of sort of busting through the Overton window, in particular from a political standpoint. This, again, comes from the Gateway Pundit, and it's titled, GOP Rep Urges Arizonians to Help Stop Sexual Grooming in Arizona Schools, which, again, is a good thing. But as you've heard me say, it's not, it's not grooming. What they should be doing, again, and they should take it deeper and outside of that Overton window, is they should call it pedophilia. But they're calling it grooming again right now and justifying, um, justifying the people that engage in this behavior and trying to change the particular behaviors from these pedophiles. That's a very difficult thing to do. That's like asking a dog to not bark. Uh, so it says this. It says, quote, Arizona Rep- uh, Republican Representative Jake Hoffman is urging the public to pressure lawmakers to advance HB 2495, a bill aimed at barring public schools from indoctrinating and grooming students with sexually explicit materials at taxpayer expense. Hoffman crafted the measure after discovering books and other materials at school laden with sexual activity. Again, not a new thing. It's not a new thing that this is occurring, and it's not a new thing that, that people are catching this. Where, where the Overton window is starting to crack is when politicians are starting to now read this to the actual school board members themselves, or, well, certainly you've heard the parents do that anyway. But when congressmen and women are saying this on the record within their own houses of chamber, so to speak, that's, that's cracking the window also. Because again, they're doing it in the same environment, these political environments that are inhabited by pedophiles themselves on both sides of the aisle. It continues, and it says, Arizona congressmen even uncovered drawings of children having sex or masturbating. Again, this is unfortunately not new, but here is an audio clip about 44 seconds long of Representative Jake Hoffman discussing that material. And literally hundreds of reference materials provided to Arizona children, both online and, and elsewhere, directing them to resources like Dry Humping Saves Lives, it's okay to have sex with a lot of people, how to view porn, and many, many others. In some cases, these are shown to children as young as fourth grade. That is an abhorrent practice, Mr. Chairman. Here are a few more examples. Play with yourself. Masturbation is a great way to find out more about your body and what you find sexually stimulating. Don't stop there. Find out how your partner's body works and what makes them feel good and what gives them pleasure. These are crimes. This is against the law. Period. End of story. These are crimes against minors when this kind of material is brought to the forefront of minors and then, of course, normalized. And therein lies the larger problem, which I, again, mentioned earlier. They're trying to normalize this as much as humanly possible. They're trying to normalize illegality. They're trying to normalize pedophilia. Because if they can continue to normalize it and no one is prosecuted over this, well, then yes, it's going to be normalized. Look what fake Supreme Court justice just got put in for a lifetime appointment, so to speak, although she won't be in long. All of it will be reversed. There's no way that they can let the voter fraud of 2020 uh, continue because Joe Biden's not the real president which means every appointment he makes is null and void and will be reversed. Anything he's ever signed, same thing. But at the local school level, if the individuals that are doing this aren't prosecuted and the prosecutors themselves don't have the stones to actually prosecute K-12 school officials for this kind of behavior and, and these kinds of practices, then ladies and gentlemen, it is Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know how that all ended, fortunately, but it ended that way because the environment became so perverse that uh, individuals were either 100% fine with it or countless individuals ran away from it. What, what makes the K-12 business interesting, I think, and I've mentioned this on numerous episodes, and I'll keep saying it and I'll just keep beating this dead horse, is that the people running it are poor business-minded people. They have no idea that there are probably more sound-minded individuals than not 
and it might take them a little while longer to wake up to what's actually going on with these envi- within these environments. But when they do, they'll, they will leave and they won't come back. And then, of course, the school district is going to be in peril financially. And there's nothing that they're going to be able to do to make up that financial loss other than tax the taxpayers and put more school levies so that they can do this and they can do that. Keep in mind, though, American K-12 schools have closed and will close as a result of continuing these kinds of behaviors. They just have no idea that they are the ones doing it themselves. The article does continue here, and I want to keep reading it because it really is interesting. And again, it, it hits the nail right on the head here. It says, while the measures exempt classical literature and early American literature, it requires parents to provide approval, allowing their children to read the materials that contain sexually explicit content. See what I mean? So they're not getting rid of it. They're just asking for parental consent. This is, this is still not a good thing. Uh, it says, Hoffman issued a statement calling on Americans to help stop sexual grooming in American schools, quote unquote by sending an email to every member of the Arizona Senate in less than 60 seconds via the website Align Act. It then says, quote, Hofstra University researcher Carol Shakeshaft, it has to be a made-up last name. Uh, (laughs) I can't, I can't believe that's her last name given this particular, this particular story. Her last name is Shakeshaft? My God. Okay. I mean, we couldn't have gotten a Bill Smith in there somewhere. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> it's just too obvious and too ridiculous. But anyway, it, uh, this, this Carol person with the apparent last name Shakeshaft says that uh, they studied the prevalence of sexual abuse in public school systems. And here's what she found. The physical sexual abuse of students in schools is likely more than 100 times the abuse by priests. The Arizona congressman warned, quote, we cannot allow the sexualization and sexual grooming of Arizona children. The legislation is currently awaiting a vote by the Arizona Senate. It would then head to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey for his signature. Democrats and LGBTQ activists are lobbying to scrap the HB 2495, arguing that the bill prohibits teachers from promoting homosexuality as a positive lifestyle. Oh, wow. It says, quote, What this bill does is once again try to erase the LGBTQ community from the Arizona schools, Arizona public schools, under the guise of protecting children, Representative Daniel Hernandez, Democrat from Tucson, warned in a scathing rebuke of the measure on Tuesday. Quote, Children keep getting used as footballs for politics. This is not an issue of homosexuality, Hoffman shot back. This is an issue of should sexually explicit material, which have been well documented in terms of medical science as an adverse effect on children, and whether or not it should be shown in K-12 classrooms. Now, this too is exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to the Overton window. You're taking the the false dichotomy of left and right on a ver- on on an issue that should be 100% illegal and it's simply bouncing back and forth between those two sides within the Overton window which will ultimately normalize it to some extent which is awful this should not be normalized under any circumstance but this next audio you're going to hear is from the other side this is the democrat representative daniel hernandez who was previously mentioned in this article now this audio is within their house education committee at the state level in Arizona. And this audio is back from January, so give a listen as to what he says. Again, he's he's blatant. I mean, everybody knows his sexual proclivity. He leans left. He's he's got he has to be gay. And uh he's using children as as being sort of the scapegoat that that somehow children are going to be hurt as a result of all of this and uh in particular the gay students. And of course, you heard Pete Buttigieg not long ago uh, this past week discussed the exact same thing. Apparently, he was on The View with the rest of those other numbskulls. And before you know it, there he was saying that uh, going after such things and, and, and going after these grooming policies by these pedophiles is actually going to get kids killed. Well, as it turns out, the exact opposite is true. But give this representative a listen real quick. 
For 28 out of the 32 years that I've been alive, it was illegal for my community to be mentioned in Arizona public schools. The LGBTQ agenda has been brought up. And let me tell you, the LGBTQ agenda is simple. To be treated with dignity and with respect and to be given the opportunity to succeed just like every other Arizonan. This bill does not accomplish that. What this bill does is once again try and erase the LGBTQ community from Arizona public schools under the guise of protecting children. Children keep being used at football as footballs for politics. Not once did we have conversations about how we address the shortage of teachers. Not once have we had a conversation about how we address the shortage of counselors for things like mental health in our schools. And yet here we are debating whether or not, once again, to reinstitute a bill that would disallow us from having conversations about the LGBTQ community. My questions were simple. If the sponsor did not mean for this to be the intent of the bill, then let's remove it. And he wouldn't agree to that simple amendment. It is really upsetting that once again, I am in the position, there are four openly gay members of the legislature out of 90. We are a minority within a minority. And yet we keep having to stand up and fight for not just our rights, but for the rights of countless Arizonans who can't be here. Having my motives impugned is a daily occurrence in this body. But I do it because for 28 years, my existence wasn't acknowledged in Arizona public schools. If you were in a position where your existence couldn't be discussed, would you be upset? Yes. So do I get catty? 100%. I am upset. I am disgusted that once again, we are in the position where we are having to have this conversation. But again, thank you for having this wonderful gift for my 32nd birthday. Um, I hope that the sponsor will actually look and work with stakeholders to remove this language. Because again, this bill is not what he is selling it as. This bill is an attempt to undermine the rights of the LGBTQ community once again. And then it ends there. First of all, again, this person is nuts. Do they sound like a logical sounding human being to anyone? Of course not. Because he can't even hear what he himself is saying. He's blaming the other side, so to speak, for saying that their bill is designed to protect children under the guise of protecting children while discriminating against gay kids. No, there's no discrimination here. It has nothing to do with that. If a person wants to be gay, fine, go for it. But the fact is, is that the bill was designed to get rid of this kind of literature. That was the point. So the flip side of this Overton window coin on the left regarding this particular issue has to do with them claiming that children are going to be hurt and discriminated against and all of their individual rights are being violated and that they aren't being recognized as people. It could not be further from the truth. If they're a breathing human being and they're inside of that school building, then they are people. It's that simple. What we don't want and what people who are logical-minded human beings don't want the individuals within these environments to be flaunting this kind of behavior, let alone it existing within the literature that is being thrust upon endless people. With, again, the graphic novels that exist out there, the sexual perversions. I mean, you could, you could pick anything. It really is an endless pit of just nonsense. But that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. You know, the one side wants to normalize the insanity, the other side does not. And unfortunately, it's in the Overton window, both sides, because it's being talked about and actually being debated, and laws are being proposed and/or passed as a result of all of this. This is this is a tough one. F- frankly, it's just a tough one. It's a tough one because this isn't going to go away. It's it's continuously being normalized. It's continuously being thrown on unsuspecting, uh, naive minors, and it's confusing them. And and when you do those two or three things with a minor, they are more likely to be mentally fragile. In particular, again, as I've brought up in the past, if they come from a broken family where they don't have 
strong male role models within their lives or even strong female role models within their lives together as a nuclear family, those individuals are more likely to be manipulated and become putty in the hands of a pedophile. And that's not, that's not good, which again is why these environments have got to be destroyed. But as I've said before in this episode numerous times, they're doing it themselves. These very people who work within these environments are destroying them themselves by their own hand, and they don't even know it. And that is the ultimate irony again. Now, again, you also heard that representative say, why are we not talking about the teacher shortages and the counselor shortages? Why are we not debating that? Why are we not seeking you know, to, to, to remedy that solution? You see, he's so dumb, he doesn't understand that he is responsible for the teacher shortages. He is responsible for the counselor shortages because of these ideologies, because of these perversions. People don't want to be counselors and teachers anymore. They don't want to because they know what they're walking into. They're walking into a pedophile playground, and they want nothing to do with it. I don't blame them. This is why the wick is burning at both ends. This is a, to use their word, sustainable again. This is unsustainable. You can't continue to be perverse and then look around and blame other people constantly when in fact it is your own behavior that is destroying the profession and the environment and the people within. That's it. I mean, I, I really can't add anything else to it. They're, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot and then looking around when it's done and then blaming whoever is closest to them. It's ridiculous, but they're not well. And of course, the jabs aren't going to make them well in the future either. Which brings me to this. Shifting gears here now toward the jabs. Um, the FDA had another one of their PowerPoint Zoom call meetings where, again, they were discussing the both impact of the jabs and some of the latest pseudo-research, so to speak. But there was a public comment section that apparently was allowed to take place, which I find interesting. And this, too, again, fits within the Overton window because the FDA can't run away from the jab injured. There are too many of them. And now the government knows about it, even though the government isn't mentioning it outside of, again, Ron Johnson. And he, of course, was bringing it up just within a particular context to sort of normalize it for some people and, uh, and mention it because, again, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and you, it's just it's something that can't be hidden right now, not to mention, again, the deaths. But in order for the FDA to keep this within the Overton window, they can't talk about the deaths. They can't talk about the HIV. They can't talk about the AIDS that, are, that, are, you know, that exist as a result of these shots. They have to talk about the adverse reactions. So there were at least three individuals who spoke via, again, these the Zoom calls, and they called in, and then they were given approximately two minutes apiece a to speak. Sometimes, I, I think it was almost three minutes. And I want to play these three audio clips. I tossed them up on my Gab account, but I want to play them here on the podcast because, again, I know not everybody's on Gab. But uh, they're heartbreaking. They're absolutely heartbreaking. The overarching theme, I think, as well, is that these are individuals, again, testifying to their adverse reactions and how horrific all of this has been for them, but they're still asking the FDA for help. You know, they're, they're, they're still, again, they're still within that Overton window. They're still asking them for help when, in fact, they should break through that window and they should be saying, you're killing us. You know what you're doing. You know that people are dying from this. You know that their immune systems are permanently compromised. You know that many of them have HIV and will have full-blown AIDS in the near future if they don't already. That's what has to be said here within these meetings. But unfortunately, even these people testifying on the record here about their adverse reactions, they aren't saying that. And I don't even think you hear the word death. I mean, they're still sort of asking the enemy for help. They're asking the FDA to sort of rectify all of this and explain it to them. Uh, that's not going to happen. The FDA does not want you to be alive. The FDA wants victims, and they want to hide as many victims as humanly possible because, of course, 
there is that phrase that is way outside of the Overton window, and it is called depopulation. That is an actual agenda. That is a real thing. So here's the first audio. I'm going to play all three. They introduce themselves at the very beginning. They give their name, profession, and then you'll hear what has happened to them as a result of the shots that they have taken. COVID shots specifically. Thank you. The next speaker is Mr. Matt Matlock. Hello, my name is Matthew Matlock. I have no financial conflicts, and these are my own words. I'm 38 years old, a combat veteran and father of two young girls. And going into the last summer, I was in the prime of my life. I was a top performer at a large technology firm in the Bay Area and at the peak of health and fitness, having just completed a half Ironman. All of that changed after my second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. I spent the first two and a half months either in the ER, at doctor's appointments, or in bed. I was ignored, gaslighted, and told there was no way the vaccine caused my issues. Thankfully, I'm stubborn and kept searching for answers until I found physicians who would listen and were willing to admit that anxiety was, in fact, not the cause of my heart inflammation, mast cell issues, radically varying blood pressures, tachycardia, gray skin tone, purple hands and feet, neuropathy, and Epstein-Barr reactivation. I'm not going to compromise the rest of my time on this call sharing with you what an incredibly frustrating experience this has been and how mainstream medicine has completely failed us. I choose to spend the remainder of my three minutes pleading with you to consider the following. Number one, research and diagnostics. The same old blood work and scans aren't cutting it. We need to think outside the box and fast. Why were we affected when others weren't? What markers can we identify that will facilitate a diagnosis? These are some of the questions we need answers to. We did our part. You assured us this was safe. We are suffering, and it's time the government stepped up and put money and resources towards this effort. Number two, treatment. The leading three options that have shown the most promise are Bruce Patterson's cytokine and inflammation treatment, Resiopatorius' triple threat of anticoagulant, antiplatelet, and ASA, and Dr. Yeager's help apparhesis. Please connect with these groups to learn more about their work. Come up with a plan to create a coalition to connect groups like these and mainstream institutions like the Mayo Clinic. Number three, compensation. To date, CICP has compensated zero claims. People are losing their jobs, their insurance, their house and are in debt hundreds of thousands of dollars. Are you going to sit here and tell me that they were simply dealt a bum hand and that they and their families will now suffer for generations as a result with zero assistance or recognition? Which brings me to my final point, acknowledgement. Stop making decisions to shield information from the public for fear of vaccine hesitancy. Manipulated data and censored information is not informed consent. It's deception. Shielding COVID and vaccine data from the public is borderline criminal behavior. Start by educating physicians on the actual data and what to look for so they can effectively treat their patients. I realize this is a complex issue to tackle with an endless amount of entry points, but please do not let this be a reason for an action. When your house is burning, you don't start worrying about how other homeowners are going to feel about seeing another house on fire and then pontificate on the best PR strategy to combat misinformation around home fires. You roll up your sleeves and you pick up a goddamn hose. Please act fast. Millions of lives are counting on you. Thank you. It's a nice statement. It's a nice written statement. Just to be very brief here with his comments, he doesn't understand. He still doesn't understand. He's asking government for help, the same government that looked at people, purposefully lied, purposefully lied, knowingly lied about injecting themselves with a biological weapon that wasn't going to cure anything but was going to kill them. It's about depopulation. He's just not there yet. He doesn't know that. He still doesn't know that. If he knew that, he would know to not even call the FDA or submit his comments to be said or written or spoken during this recent FDA presentation. He just he's not there yet. He doesn't know this yet. So I could go on and on about his comments. Again, he, he's right, but he's still asking the enemy for help. They're not going to give you help. And again, when government says something is safe, ladies and gentlemen, it's not. So here's the second person. Thank you. The next speaker is uh, Andrew Cherry. Cherry? I report no conflicts of interest. My name is Andre Cherry. I'm 22 years old, and I was injured after taking Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine. Before this, I was a published author, an artist, musician, an active member in my church, family, and community, on my way to achieving my bachelor's degree in English. 
Beginning only two hours after my vaccination, I progressively lost control over my life. My limbs and body parts jerk, contort, and become rigid or flaccid on their own. My eyes and mouth shut tight and cannot be opened of my own volition. I can't tell when I wake up in the morning if I'll be able to walk or see, feed, or bathe myself. I only know I will face trouble resulting from my injury. I sleep on the first floor of my home in a hospital bed, and I no longer can use stairs unsupervised. My mother and brother have been sleeping on couches near me out of concern for my safety. I now possess a handicap placard and a wheelchair, which I frequently use. I can barely leave my home except for medical or religious reasons, and even then, my family has to carry a book bag full of safety equipment to make sure I don't fall or injure myself. For nine months, I and my family have relentlessly pursued diagnosis and treatment, only to be met with apathy, sarcasm, and condescension from most of the medical community, affiliated personnel, mainstream media, and society at large. Rather than providing much-needed follow-up and resources for treatment, I've been referred to the Psychology Today magazine or offered multi-state travel to find help. When asking for understanding from a doctor about this vaccine side effect, since you, the FDA, are not releasing this data, I was told that, and I quote, we don't know how aspirin works. My medical care has been continuously impeded due to your unwillingness to make public the facts about the mRNA technology of this vaccine, which Dr. Malone himself stated to have cytotoxic properties. This dearth of information robs doctors of the knowledge they need to accurately diagnose and care for vaccine-injured patients such as myself. You created a social media toolkit to, quote, fight vaccine hesitancy, but it seems more likely that you're concerned with fighting public dissent. This country was founded on the idea that we, the people, should be free to make informed decisions for ourselves. How can free people make free decisions if, after every controversy, there's a cover-up? How can you expect us to trust you when you don't trust us with accurate information? How can you say you care when you turn away those who come to you for aid? Time and again, you have misled and harmed the American people, exchanging their health for profit. Obesity, heart disease, and cancers kill us more than anything else because you peddle processed sugar, tobacco, and a scientifically unfounded food pyramid. Proverbs 3.27 commands you to not withhold good from those who, to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. We are not acres of skin to be harvested and experimented upon. We, too, are the free people of the United States of America, and we demand fair treatment, justice, and equality, as is our God-given right. Thank you for your time. Again. Great comments. Great comments. I certainly think it's interesting where everyone sits on the spectrum of their own awakening. This sounds like a rather awake human being. But at the same time, were they that awake before they got the shots? Probably not. But this is an example of an individual who is awake now, and certainly more awake now, it's too bad that they weren't, again, this awake before the shot rollout. Just like the first speaker who said, you know, thank God I'm stubborn. And thank God I decided to look into this myself. Well, he did that only after injecting himself with two rounds of a biological weapon that is designed to kill people. So you've, you've heard me mention the, the jab spectrum, as I've called it in the past, or the jab awakening spectrum. These are two individuals, again, that are their own unique notches in that spectrum, but they also sort of fall in the same category of waking up, but they're waking up after the fact. And then, of course, there's a whole other group of individuals on that spectrum, which are the people who are jabbed and have no idea uh, what, what these shots are. They haven't done their homework like these two individuals have. Again, it's too little too late to some extent, but at least they're waking up and you know, that, that to some extent should be commended as opposed to the person who's lining up for their second booster shot right now. Uh, here's the last one, and this comes from a nurse. And you're going to hear a couple of beeps throughout her, uh, her, her quick little presentation here. I don't know if her phone is ringing on her end or whatever, but trust me, it's not your fault. Okay, thank you. The last speaker for this session is uh, Ms. Pamela Warren. Good afternoon. My name is Pam Warren, 48 years old. I have no conflict of interest. I was vaccinated on January 8, 2021, and again February 8, 2021, both times Moderna. At the time, I worked at the American Red Cross running apheresis machines collecting life-saving blood for blood banks. This required starting IVs with precision over and over during my shift. 
As a healthcare worker, I was eager, eager to get vaccinated to protect myself and the people I worked with. I got vaccinated early without any hesitation. I believe that these vaccines were safe and effective as promised. I trusted the system. Things didn't go as planned. A host of complications followed until eventually I was unable to start IVs to do severe tremors and involuntary movements in my arms and a long list of other side effects. I had one patient ask if I had suddenly got Parkinson's disease since the last time I saw her four months prior. I had to quit my job. I was no longer effective because I lost my steady hand and other complications with my health were contributing to, that, to severe brain fog. I posed the risk to people I served. I was making mistakes that could hurt or kill a donor or a blood recipient. For several months, I could not care for my children or myself. For eight months, I was too weak and sick to make one family meal, something I did easily with ease before the vaccine. My husband took care of all aspects of our home life. He is a COO of 40 primary care providers, MDs, who are our friends, and even they didn't know how to help me. Their hands were tied. Healthcare practitioners were unaware of the possibility of my rare side effects, and I was left to cope alone. I was suffering without recognition, acknowledgement, or answers, getting weaker and sicker, 45 pounds in only a few months, and still no answers or help. It took six months and nine doctors to get an erythral diagnosis. My life will never be the same. I stumbled upon communities of injured people who were forming support groups. These groups helped me find direction to healthcare providers that were pioneering a path for the injured. The vaccine injured began to take care of each other, collecting data, explaining what types of specialists could maybe help. Why did it become the injured's responsibility to do this? The Food and Drug Administration is responsible for protecting, protecting the public. It's time for this to happen. We, the injured, should no longer carry this burden. It is in the FDA's very mission statement to protect us. We need this to happen now. People are suffering with no end in sight. We need your influence and expertise. Thank you. Their influence is killing people and their expertise is killing people. It's not in saving these individuals. That's not what this whole thing was about. This whole thing was about money, depopulation, rapid illness, a takeover of our country and other countries with, with communist dictatorships so on and so forth. That was the entire plan, and it's continuing to be carried out right now. Um, her example is another example of how close you can actually sit to the medical profession, be married into the medical profession as well, and you yourself be in the medical profession and have no idea what's going on. Uh, again, it's, it's just another, it's another notch in the jab spectrum of scenarios and mind frames that exists for a number of people. So more information continues to come out regarding all of this. That particular Rumble channel that has a lot of these audios from that presentation from civilians who have been injured, again, they span every spectrum of society you could possibly imagine. Their political persuasions, their ages, their professions, you name it. Uh, but the Rumble channel is Chief Nerd. Uh, yeah. Spelled exactly that way, C-H-I-E-F-N-E-R-D. If you're interested in going and listening to more audio clips from that, you can. I might play a few in, uh, in Wednesday's episode, but they're heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to say the least. But again, more information is continuing to come out about this, and if people don't stay at the forefront, uh, like myself, which I'm trying to do as best I can here and bring that information to everyone who listens, then um, more and more people are going to continuously get hurt and, and they don't know what they're doing to themselves. So here's the last thing I'll mention. Stu Peters has said that it's official that on Monday, today, at 6 p.m. on his Rumble channel, he's going to air the Watch the Water uh, documentary information episode. So I highly recommend you check that out. It's certainly going to be thought-provoking. It's certainly another angle in this entire war. I will also be watching it, and I'll bring up a number of different parts of it probably uh, on the podcast just to get the message out there a little bit further, but I will also link it in the description below for Wednesday's episode, because by the time this one airs, this episode will already be out before his comes out, 
And uh, yeah, I trust Stu Peters. I, I trust the people that he works with and that he works around, and he's staying at the forefront of this, which is great also. So with all of that said, again, have a great week, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.